0: We're delighted that you have joined us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak. Today, we continue a series of studies on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns shortly. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, found in his collection called Morning and Evening. This morning's text is found in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Sometimes the Lord Jesus tells his church his love thoughts. He does not think it enough behind her back to tell it, but in her very presence he says, Thou art all fair, my love. It is true this is not his ordinary method. He is a wise lover and knows when to keep back the intimation of love and when to let it out. But there are times when he will make no secret of it, times when he will put it beyond all dispute in the souls of his people. The Holy Spirit is often pleased, in a most gracious manner, to witness with our spirits of the love of Jesus. He takes of the things of Christ and reveals them unto us. No voice is heard from the clouds, and no vision is seen in the night, but we have a testimony more sure than either of these. If an angel should fly from heaven and inform the saint personally of the Saviour's love to him, the evidence would not be one whit more satisfactory than that which is borne in the heart by the Holy Ghost. Ask those of the Lord's people who have lived the nearest to the gates of heaven, and they will tell you that they have had seasons when the love of Christ towards them has been a fact so clear and sure that they could no more doubt it than they could question their own existence. Yes, beloved believer, you and I have had times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Then our faith has mounted to the topmost heights of assurance. We have had confidence to lean our heads upon the bosom of our Lord. And we have no more questioned our Master's affection to us than John did when in that blessed posture. Nay, nor so much, for the dark question... Lord, is it I that shall betray thee, has been put far from us. He has kissed us with the kisses of his mouth, and killed our doubts by the closeness of his embrace. His love has been sweeter than wine to our souls. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the midst of this season of celebration with all its attendant activities, may you know the reality of God's unspeakable gift, His blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. From the ministry of Let the Bible Speak, we wish you and yours a most blessed and joyous Christmas. On today's broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns will continue his series of studies in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Today he brings the opening portion of a message called The Spirit of Adoption. The text is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, a passage which sets forth the special relationship into which God brings the regenerated soul. In salvation, our Heavenly Father not only saves us from hell, But he brings us into a new legal standing, that of his children, with all the benefits of that position. Here is one of the most beautiful and precious truths about believers in Jesus Christ, the understanding of which will bring untold joy and assurance into the Christian's life. Now, Dr. Cairns will introduce this message on the spirit of adoption.
1: We're going to read in verse 13 of Romans chapter 8. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For if ye have not received the spirit of bondage, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Then over in Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, the first seven verses of the chapter, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen. The Lord will add his own blessing to these familiar verses from his own precious word for his name's sake let's briefly bow in a word of prayer father in heaven we cry to thee now for the help of the spirit of god in the ministry of thy word we pray lord for all the authority of the holy ghost in declaring the message of truth we pray our god that the spirit himself will bear witness of the word and through the word to every heart. We pray our God that this day there will be conviction of sin in those who know not Christ and we pray that they will be saved. We pray our God that there will be in those who are saved a deep work of assuring grace that the Spirit himself may bear witness with the spirits of thy people that they are the very children of God. Lord, bless us now as we look into the Scriptures of truth. We ask in Jesus' name, and for Jesus' sake, Amen. This morning I want to direct your attention very particularly to the words of verse 15, but looking at them in the context of 15, 16, and 17 in Romans chapter 8. Verse 15, Ye have not received The spirit of of, uh, bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The change which salvation brings in a man is both moral and legal. When the Lord saves us, he makes a real change within us. The Bible says we are made new creatures in Christ. He makes a change in what we are. We become saints of God. So when the Lord saves us, he changes what we are. But he goes a lot deeper than that, and he makes a change in the legal status that we have in his sight. And most frequently, preachers will explain this by drawing your attention to the difference between sanctification and justification. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the inward man after the image of Christ and we are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto God. Sanctification imparts real holiness, a moral quality to the life. Justification, on the other hand, is not a work, it is an act. It is not a process, it is done once and never repeated. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein He pardoneth all our sins, and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So the difference between a real change in us and a change in our legal standing in the sight of God is most often explained by showing the difference between sanctification and justification. Sanctification speaking of Holiness imparted. Justification speaking of righteousness imputed on the merits of Jesus Christ. Now the same thing, the same difference can be seen when you think of regeneration by which we become born again the sons of God and adoption by regeneration We are given a new nature. 2 Peter 1 verse 4, We have been made partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We are given a new life. When God regenerates a man, he is quickened. He is alive from the dead. Once dead to God, he is now alive in Christ. And all the throbbing vitality of spiritual life in Jesus Christ is communicated personally, directly to him. He lives as he never lived before. And I just stop off there and say, it shows you how twisted is the thinking of the ungodly mind. When a man can live for the devil in the death of his sin, he can be cut off from light and life and liberty in Christ. His whole nature can be following out its own wicked, depraved, polluted bent. And yet he says, this is life. And what a Christian has, my, that's not living at all. How foolish can men become Tell you, my friend, by regeneration, a man is brought to life. God communicates a new nature to him. But by adoption, we are brought into a brand new legal standing in the sight of God. Now, when you start to think of it, it would have been unspeakable grace on the Lord's part Had he purely and simply regenerated us and given us spiritual life, that in itself would be a great salvation. But the Lord has gone to the very utmost, even of the abilities of eternal deity. God in devising salvation, if I could say it reverently, has exhausted even the infinity of divine wisdom and divine power. Because not only has he given us spiritual life, he has done much more than that. He has adopted us into the very family of God. Now, we need to understand the word adopted Paul's reference here is, I believe, strictly to Roman law. Experts tell us that in Jewish society and in Greek society, there was no provision made for adoption. It's clear enough in Jewish history, and I'm not going into the reasons why, uh, the Lord had another way of supplying the needs uh, in families there. but the Roman legal system had a very clear uh, set of transactions for this thing that we call adoption. I was reading one expert on ancient Roman setups and uh, he pointed this out. That in Roman law, a father owned his son much in the way that he would own a slave, although obviously unlike the slave, the son was also an heir. But the the title to the family was in the hand of the father. And it was a very, very difficult thing to break the bond of sonship and to transfer that son from one family into another family couldn't be easily done and if it were going to be done it had to be by a very specific legal transaction it's very interesting just to follow that transaction through it started off with what the experts call a quasi-redemption in other words it didn't always have to mean that there was an actual monetary consideration. But there was a ritual redemption. That was the first thing. A purchasing of the one to be adopted. Then there was a full acceptance of the adopted child into the position of having an equal status in the new family with all the other natural sons of that family. And then the adopted child He assumed all the rights, all the privileges, and all the obligations of a legal son and heir. And every bit of this was witnessed in the sight of the law. And then and only then was the adoption process complete and recognized. Now, this is what Paul is referring to when he speaks about adoption. When he speaks about us being adopted by God, he has this whole legal procedure in mind. The word adoption some people take to mean simply sonship. That's a mistake. There is another word very close to it, but it means sonship. This one is the placing of a son. It has the idea of the legal placement of a son into another family. And it's clear that Paul is using the word in a technical sense in order to get over to it as a great theological truth. Adoption. I quoted to you a moment or two ago the shorter catechism's definitions of sanctification and uh, justification. What is adoption then? Summing all this up, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. That is adoption. We are received into the number of God's sons. We have given to us a right to all the privileges of God's sons. And this is a vital aspect of salvation. Salvation. Sadly, it's an aspect that's very often ever mentioned. And I say sadly because it's interesting just to see how differently Paul thought from modern preachers. There are preachers who preach for 50 years and they never once preach an adoption. Yet when Paul in Romans chapter 9 and verse 4 was lifting the benefits of the Israel of God, he says, to whom pertaineth, and he gives a list of blessings First and foremost, the adoption. To whom pertaineth the adoption? I want to tell you, the more you understand this thing, the more you will realize that it is a choice, spiritual blessing, among all the blessings of grief. (laughs)
0: been listening to let the bible speak the radio ministry of the free presbyterian church of north america we hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program we're here as your servants for christ's sake if we can be of any further help to you in the things of the lord we invite you to contact us our mailing address is let the bible speak 1207 haywood road greenville south carolina 29615 That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org.